Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with my co-host John Harlow on this wonderful Monday night after we after the NASCAR Sprint All Star Race. We'll talk about that, the fiasco that was the All-Star Race. The showdown was fantastic. The All-Star Race, we'll get into it. We'll just say that much. Uh, Dollar General, breaking news this afternoon, that Dollar General is leaving NASCAR at the end of the 2016 season, including the $20 million deal with Joe Gibbs Racing and the number 20 car, Matt Kenseth. We'll discuss what that means for Joe Gibbs Racing and what it means for NASCAR. 2017 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductees will be announced on Wednesday. We'll, think who, we'll discuss who should be in and who, sh- who deserves to get in. And, of course, we'll talk about the NASCAR Camper World Truck Series race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And we'll take your phone calls at 917-889-8280. But first, John, let's get into it. It's the NASCAR Sprint All-Star Race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Let's talk about the Sprint Showdown first, which was the race to get in. It was rained out on Friday night, ran on Saturday afternoon at 11, 30, 11 o'clock a.m. I thought the daytime did it better. Uh, it was a great race that featured three phenomenal segments. Uh, what were your thoughts overall before we break down you know, this, this showdown segment by segment? What were your thoughts overall about the showdown's racing? We've learned two things this season. Racing in the daytime is better racing. You saw it at Richmond. You saw it again at Charlotte. At, at When they're racing at night, everybody's glued to the track. Everybody's glued to the bottom. They're hugging the white line. Every now and then they'll get the top groove worn in. During the showdown, all three grooves were working. The best thing that I mean, I, the best thing that happened was a rainout. I think they should run the showdown the day before, the day of, like they just did this week. That should be the permanent way of doing it because it was great racing. The other thing that has to come out of this before we go any further: congratulations to Goodyear. Normally, we're slamming Goodyear because. Somehow there's a tire issue. Sometimes they don't get. I mean, it's. I mean, you look at the fiasco from Daytona. I mean, from Indianapolis a few years ago that they're still trying to recover from. Whatever they did for the race at Charlotte this week, whatever those tires were, box those up. Come up with similar type tires for every place you go. That was perfect. Yeah, it was great. No doubt, the swisher and I thought was great, and I agree with you. I think racing in the daytime was better. Um, you know. It's the first time we've, we ran in the daytime since 1991 for the showdown. And really for the All-Star Race. Remember, 92 was the first All-Star Race we ran at night. The showdown, the Sprint, uh, Winston Open back in the day. Now the Sprint Showdown, they ran it at night every year as well. Um, you know, I agree with you. But the problem is, John, and, and this is something interesting, because I always wondered, I was like, why did they leave so much time between the end of the truck race and the beginning of the NASCAR Sprint All-Star Race? I think it had a lot to do with two separate tickets. I think uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway and Renfrew Self stole two se- separate tickets for those events. And they wanted to get the people out of Charlotte Motor Speedway and then get the whole new people who bought tickets to the Sprint Showdown into Charlotte Motor Speedway. And I think that's the danger of running these races on the same day, uh, They, especially the truck race, because the truck race was its own different thing. Uh, we saw qualifying. You know, they could do it the old way, which was qualifying was on Friday and then have the transfers go into the, uh, to the all-star race but a very interesting format. I thought it was great. I love the daytime. I thought the daytime was phenomenal. And the first showdown, we got everything we needed. I mean, it was helped a lot by the caution. Michael McDowell spun late in that first segment, uh, and it created a restart, which Trevor Bain dove three wide, made a great move, uh, beat Chase Elliott to the line by an inch, if not a few inches, and he made it into the all-star race. And that marked Jack Roush's 27th consecutive all-Star race, John Harlow. Uh, a great move by Turbane in that first segment. The one thing I heard throughout the day is where did this Trevor Bain come from? Because he doesn't run like that any other time. He's usually just settling for where he is. He wanted the million bucks, and he showed it. I mean, he busted his ass to get through the middle of those two cars in a move he probably wouldn't have made in a regular race and wound up pulling ahead getting the win, and making, getting himself into the all-star race. It was a great move by Trevor Bain. It's the first time I've seen him actually put his nose somewhere intentionally 
trying to make a move other than following along or causing some sort of trouble. It was a great move. I wish you'd do that more often. I wish more people would do that more often. That was a great move. It was a great race. And I'll tell you, Chase Elliott, boy, did that kid have some hard luck. I mean, he's running away with the thing. The caution comes out. Would have put Ryan Blaney on the front row for the next go-around. He was in great shape, and they wind up neither Chase Elliott or Ryan Blaney transfer through, and those are the two I expected mm-hmm. more than anybody. Absolutely. And Ryan Blaney jumped a restart there on that on that restart, um, and it really hurt him because he, he didn't win the race. He didn't even transfer, and he had to start from the rear for segment two, and that really hurt him because he had a long way to go. And segment two basically was spent for Ryan Blaney working his way up through the entire field. And it was an interesting move. When, when McDowell spun, that changed the entire complexity of that race. Uh, because it was, it, you were able to pit for tires if the caution came out, and Greg Biffle was able to go in and get four fresh tires. He did that, and when they made the mandatory pit stop at the end of segment one, he took two tires, that got him some track position, and he had pretty fresh tires. So he got up there and was able to mix it, mix it around in segment two, uh, was able to pass for the lead and, and advance into segment two. So Greg Biffle was able to, a little bit of strategy and a little bit of, of skill and a little bit of luck for Greg Biffle to go in there, and he pretty much dominated segment two there, John Harlow, and he advanced bringing two Roush cars into the, into the all-star race. I was surprised more teams didn't think like um, Biffle and his crew chief did. Brian that Patty. was Yeah, Brian Patty's, and he always thinks outside the box, but that was really smart move. I'm surprised more teams didn't go that direction because they could have only taken two in the break and gone out and had better better track position. Now, granted, if you're Chase Elliott or Ryan Blaney up front, you're going to ride it out because you see this 20-lap segment coming to a close where you can end up getting the win and parking the car for the rest of the day. Everybody else that was fourth or fifth on back, if I'm them, I'm taking four tires just so I only have to take two in the next segment. Smart thinking by Brian Patty, smart thinking by Biffle in the group, and they just smoked everybody the second segment. They just took the pole, I mean, got out there and drove away from everybody. It was a great move on Biffle's part, great move by Brian Patty, and they wound up in the all-star race again. Yeah, it was it was an unbelievable job by them. And, again, it was a lot of people, a lot of, I think a lot of people didn't uh, have advancing was Greg Biffle or Trevor Bain, really. And they kind of shocked the world. But in the third segment, that's when the names that everybody kind of expected went rose to the top there. Uh, it, it came down to a, a Chase Elliott and Eric, or Kyle, a Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson battle for the win. Two young drivers who have yet to win their first cup race going out there and beating and banging. Uh, it came down to a drag race at the end of the race where it looked like Chase had Larson passed a couple of times and he, he didn't do it, obviously. Uh, got beaten, banged to the line, and it was Kyle Larson that pulled that prevailed at the end with Ryan Blaney, who was in third, chasing him down. It was an unbelievable finish in that third segment. Uh, your thoughts on Kyle Larson advancing in that, in that split showdown? Kyle Larson could have done the same thing a week earlier at Dover. He didn't squeeze Kenseth up into the wall or anything. He squeezed Chase Elliott up into the wall, and it wound up getting him into the all-star race. The same thing should have happened a week earlier. I'm, I mean, like I said, he's going to kick himself in the butt because he didn't do it at Dover. I still don't see him getting a win this year. I think it was a fluke. I mean, it was a 20-lap segment. He doesn't have it over 400, 500 miles, but he can do it in 20 laps. And then... If you look at the way he did it in the final segment of the All-Star race, he's trying, but he ends up playing chicken with the wall and ruins his day. Yeah, he, it was great. It was a great finish, no doubt about it. And I thought Larson did well. Uh, he really did. He did a great job. And, and that 42 team, I know it was only uh, in a little bit different rule packet than what we're going to see in the 600, but that's a team that you could keep an eye on for sure. Uh, you, you, you don't think you can make it through 600 miles. We'll see about that. I think the team's finally turned a corner here. I'm a big believer in momentum, and momentum transfers week to week. And I think that they have that on their side right now, and it looks like their cars are handling a little bit better throughout the board right now. So uh, I think that 42 team could be somebody to keep an eye on for sure. But those, The one thing I did, drivers, Clayton, the one thing out of Saturday that I did see that I really – where I was thinking about Kyle Larson – Tony Stewart on his Twitter account, if they gave out MVPs to the driver who put on the best performance at the All-Star race, Kyle, Kyle Larson gets my vote. Oh, that yeah, means absolutely. he was really 
putting the hammer down and being a wheel man. I think Larson has it. I don't think he has the crew or the team to do it. I think Larson, if he's going to become a winner at the cup level, needs to get away from Ganassi Racing. And, again, I'll talk to him blue in the face until he finally wins a race. Chad Johnson has done nothing to ever impress me. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero. Tony Stewart fan, not pleased with Chad Johnson. What else is new? But it was it was a great finish. There was no doubt. And I thought the, the showdown did everything you wanted to do, and that's what was almost. Uh, and this is what was interesting to me, John Harlow, was you had that, and everybody was like, "Man, I want to see more. I want to see more." And we had to wait so long. We had the truck race after it to see the All Star race, and it was that night. So it was kind of like if we had the All Star race, you know, an hour after that, everybody would have been feeling really. Really good. And the truck race was pretty good as well. You know, a caution clock deal drives me nuts with the trucks. But um, I just think it was kind of funny because it was everybody was feeling really good and we had to wait kind of a long way for the All-Star Race. So the, the five drivers who advanced to the All-Star Race were Turbane, Greg Biffle, Kyle Larson, and then he had two fan votes who were announced right after the race of Chase Elliott and, of course, Danica Patrick. Um, and so we ran these, the sprint show down. Then it was on to the sprint All-Star Race, which – the format this season was two, was three segments, two 50-lap segments, followed by a 13-lap segment. Uh, and before the 13-lap segment, they would pit the top 9, 10, or 11 drivers to pit four tires on fuel. It was a little confusing, to say the least, John Harlow. The first segment, really, <laughs> the, the problem was 50 laps, but they had to make a mandatory green flag pit stop for tires. That's, that's the key to keep in mind there. A mandatory green flag pit stop for tires. Um, and a lot of the ch- drivers and teams did it early. A lot of the drivers and teams waited. Um, and one driver and team waited too long. That was Matt Kenseth in the 20 car. They waited. There was a, a, a spin. I think it was Jamie McMurray spun uh, with about three laps to go in the segment. And those caution laps were clicking off. And Matt Kenseth had made his pit stop. And he wasn't going to make it under green. And what happened was it trapped a lot of cars that had pitted a lap down. And it was, at the time, I said, well, what's going to happen with these cars? Because Kansas keeps, the, the only reason why those cars are a lap down is because Kansas did something sort of against the rules. He stayed out and didn't make his green flag pit stop under with for tires. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense. He just kind of sat there and goes, What's NASCAR going to do? Well, those cars ended up staying a lap down, even though, to, to the confusion of others, because Kenseth went a lap down as well. It was kind of craziness. Uh, what were your thoughts there, John, in that first segment? I think the first segment showed what a cluster that NASCAR can make out of something when they're trying to put false excitement into it. <clears throat> the racing was phenomenal all weekend. The truck race was great. The showdown was great. The racing in the all-star race was great. There was passing going on throughout the field. It wasn't like somebody just pulled away and took off and you didn't hear from them again like you normally do in a mile and a half. At least they were close to each other. At least they were battling for positions. And I think part of that was taking the skew out of the rear end, taking some of the blowers that made extra downforce on the I mean, they were instead of using brake blowers, they were blowing it up into the car to pull that. I mean, to suck the car down. I think the best. It was great racing. The problem was mandatory green flag stops, and they're running 113 total laps. Mm-hmm. Is what they're running. Make it 50 green each segment. Don't score the yellow laps. If you're only allowed to take tires and you have a mandatory green flag pit stop, guess what? Make it green flag laps count. Then there's no confusion at the end. They don't Here's have this problem. Thing. Here's my thing, and I, and I was discussing this with a person you know very well who used to do the show with us over on yesterday morning. Um, here's my problem with it. I can't stand the fact that it's a mandatory pit stop. I, I think if NASCAR said, hey, hey listen, guys, we're going to do 50, 50, and 13, and the only time we're going to tell you to pit is when you have 9, 10, or 11, and you come down to four tires. Anytime else, you know what? You can pit anytime you want. You don't have to pit at the end of the segment. You can. You don't have to. You can get two tires at the end. I think the problem with that is NASCAR's waiting for people to kind of sit there and say, well, who's going to get, who's going to get messed up? I don't, 
you know, we saw it with Frankie Stoddard a bunch of years ago when Frankie Stoddard came in and pitted on the final lap. And if you want to tell me, to me, if you want to close pit road with 15 laps, under 15 laps to go like it did in, at the end of segment two, I'm okay with that. And you say, listen, if you want to pit, that's fine. Pit before the, the, we close it with 15 to go, but you don't have to pit. And if you want to pit, you can do that, but we're going to, open, we're going to close until 15 laps to go until the caution comes down after the first segment. You can come in after the first segment if you want. If you don't want to and you trust the tires, don't fall off as much after 15 laps. You don't have to come in. It's just to me, strategy is so important in this sport. It should be included in the all-star race. And I feel like making people do things, uh, it, it just I, I don't like it in this race. And I think that's what really screwed up was they had to have a pit stop. To me, you don't have to have a pit stop there. If a caution comes out at an unexpected time and these guys want to pit and some want to stay out, I'm okay with it all. But uh, I just think making people pit is, is a bad idea. I don't. I didn't honestly, John. I didn't mind. I used to the racing was great, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I didn't mind this format. I didn't mind this fifty-fifty. I said before the race, I didn't mind it at all. I still don't mind it. It was just a very, very confusing thing because of what had happened. And I think if you tell don't tell teams to pit, I think that's the, that's the real uh, bugaboo in this whole thing. And let me touch on one more thing before I get your final opinion on this whole situation. Uh, I read one media member on Twitter say that this is the driver's fault because the drivers created this. Let me tell you something. NASCAR is a sanctioning body. They're the ones ultimately in control. They're the ultimate ones calling the races. It's They're at fault for this. And they're the ones who look bad. They're the ones that look ditty. And if the driver says, hey, you know what, I think we should run around the track backwards and beat each other, and the last one standing like a demolition derby, that to me would be entertaining. And NASCAR said yes, NASCAR would be at fault. They don't have to take what the driver says. So keep that in mind, people. I know the drivers, quote, unquote, invented it, but they don't have to keep what the driver said. I sort of agree with that. I mean, I'm looking at the tweet from the media member you're talking about. But also I see the head of the driver's council also say, no, sir, it didn't. It came from one person, and nobody right. liked it. But Denny Hamlin tweeted that out saying, it came from one, it came from Brad Keselowski, and nobody liked it. I think the strongest comments, and you and I were talking about this while we were watching the race, Stewart's post-wreck interview. God, <laughs> am I going to miss Tony Stewart and his yeah. blunt freaking honesty. I don't know that who the hell's scoring this, how the hell they're scoring it, or what the hell's being scored. <laughs> the only, and you listen to Junior, the only time he understood anything, okay, we got 13 laps to go. We have to go. Other than that, he right. had no freaking clue what was going on. I think if they're going to do something this short, make it green flag. If they're going to do mandatory pit stops, they have to be mandatory green flag pit stops. Pit under green, but only green flag laps count. Then you don't have this headache. And, again, I agree. I think we can tweak it for sure. Again, I like this segment, and I know the drivers are complaining that only one driver picked it. Well, guess what? You guys also were the ones that kind of voted him into that position. So I don't want to hear complaining out of those guys either. Um, and, and, again, and I know people are going to say, well, you know, NASCAR didn't create this. I understand that, but they were the ultimate ones to sign off on it. Uh, but segment two was the wreck you were talking about with Tony Stewart. Um, Chase Elliott was trying to pit for his mandatory pit stop, slowed down, and it basically was coming off a of turn four, and it got tight there. Uh, an accident between Greg Biffle, Tony Stewart, Casey Kane, and Matt Kenseth got involved. Tony Stewart was not happy at the end, like you said, made some comments saying this was the worst all-star race he's ever been a part of. He didn't know at times if he was a lap down or not. And granted, at that time, John, and everybody was kind of understanding, it was it was a cluster, no doubt about it. And I think um, Tony Stewart's comments were warranted. And, again, and it was refreshing to see almost because that was something we used to see 10, 15 years ago, drivers wear their emotions on their sleeve, get out of a race car, and they were frustrated. And that's what was nice about Tony Stewart was it wasn't I don't think he was upset totally at the format. He was angry at him wrecking. I really do. I think he was mad that he wrecked. I think he was mad he was a lap down. He wanted to win that race. And that's what's nice to see is the passion that Tony Stewart still has. Even though he's retiring, it was nice to see his passion. And that's something that I think NASCAR's taken out of the drivers because of them being fined for saying certain things. I think the passion is gone from these drivers, at least it appears to us on the outside. So it's nice to see somebody come out and not really care what NASCAR has to say and say the true, honest thing and really say what everybody else was thinking. And the one thing where Stewart, and I understand the confusion, is Stewart and a couple of the others who were scored one lap down because Kenseth stayed out 
when Kenseth got held a lap, they were ahead at the end of 50 laps of Carl Edwards. They were ahead of him on the track. Right. At least four or five of those cars that were scored a lap down were ahead of Carl Edwards, so they should have been put back at the tail end of the lead lap. Yeah, it was very strange. And uh, whether or not they would take a wave around and all that kind of stuff, it was definitely something that needs to be tweaked. And I think, again, when Kent, to me, you, NASCAR doesn't make a move as far as opening pit road. They shouldn't open pit road until that kind of situation is figured out. You say, okay, Matt, you're going to the rear. You can pit with the lap down cars. Go to the rear. Boom. Then all those cars say, okay, now you can take a wave around if you want to, take a, if you want to stay out. Our leaders are going to pit. So the leaders pit. Now you take the wave around if you want to take the wave around. Or you can pit like we do in Cups. Basically what happens in the regular season is if the leaders pit, everybody in the lap down cars stay out. They're going to be in front of the leaders basically when the restart comes because the leaders pitted. And they basically just give them a free wave around and say, okay, you can go to the rear of the field because you're staying out. Now, they may be on old tires and stuff like that, and that's the detriment of, take, of doing that. Um, but I just think it was a very, definitely a very confusing situation on Saturday night. Segment two. And then on top of um, that, they brought the one lap down cars in with the lap down cars to right. pit. Everybody pitted together. So yep. on a normal race, if you're pitting with the lead lap cars, you consider yourself on the lead lap. And, let, yeah, and that's another part of the confusion. Right. And the only time we ever see that when the leaders pit with, with the lap down cars is a quickie yellow, and that's what makes it quick to say, listen, we're, we want to get the track going, let's get the track. So instead of wasting an extra time under caution, we're going to throw a quickie yellow here. And that's all due to, and people get confused by that, because it's all due to what happened in 1990 at Atlanta Motor Speedway, Bill through where there wasn't enough, there was too many people uh, on pit road, and that was before they had pit road speeds as well. But um, that's all a safety issue, so there's not as many cars in the lead lap, there's not as much chaos to go on, et cetera, et cetera. So it was it was very, very confusing. You're right, John Harlow, wholeheartedly. And, and it's definitely something NASCAR needs to look at. And I think they admitted they screwed up, no doubt, uh, which is refreshing to see, but it doesn't help anybody now uh, a couple of days after the race. Kyle Larson won segment two, but the interesting part about segment two towards the end after the wreck with Tony Stewart was Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson, his car was fading fast, and he decided to sort of what we call in the sport sandbag, which was lay back. He fell back to the 12th position, which – if you were familiar with the rules, 9th, 10th, and 11th were going to pit for four tires. It was just a matter of which one they drew. So basically the front nine, the front 10, or the front 11, based on his role, were going to pit for four tires. And the rest of the field was going to start in front of them on old tires. So Jimmy Johnson fell back to 12th because he knew, hey, if they draw 11, I'm going to be on the front row with old tires. They drew 11. Jimmy Johnson's on the front row with old tires. The top 11 pitted. Jimmy finished 12th and he was on a front row with old tires. Um, an interesting strategy by the 48 team. Leave it to that team that caused a lot of controversy about this format. John Arlo, before we started the third segment there, what were your thoughts about Jimmy Johnson there? Well, if they wouldn't have had the pileup, it might have worked. The problem was only Jimmy Johnson and Kyle Busch are sitting out there on old tires. Everybody else had new stuff or they were a lap down. So right, you had... There were 13 lead lap cars at the time because Danica was back there, but she was a lap down. There was another one back there who was a lap down. So you had Johnson and Kyle Busch on the front row. This is, again, where I commend Goodyear for bringing a great tire because having 30 or 50 lap left side tires didn't help Johnson because he was a sitting duck out there, and he had 15 lap or 20-lap right-side tires. He was Mm -hmm. a sitting duck because there was nobody in between. Now, if they would have had all 20 still out there on the lead lap without the pileup, going from at least 11th up with 13 laps to go, then you've got some movement to do. Then you're going to have to push some people out of the way. The Mm -hmm. way it was set up, there was no way Johnson and Bush were going to do anything. You saw by the time they got out of turn two, they were sitting ducks, and they were already back to fourth and fifth place and going back like they had an anchor on the back of their car. Yeah, and it was – you're absolutely right. Uh, Thirteen cars on the lead lap, like you said there, and if there was 20, you know, that guy who pitted from 11th would have – whoever on fresher tires would have probably started ninth or tenth because those other nine cars would have been in front of him. 
And that would make it a lot different, a lot more difficult to get to the front of the field. But when lap down cars restart behind the lap, the leaders, so when they restarted, there was only two cars and old tires in front of them, in front of the cars with new tires, and Jimmy Johnson and Kyle Busch were eaten alive there, no doubt about it. And like you said, they got in the turn two and they were gone. But it was an interesting strategy by the 48 because I, don't, I think they knew with how bad their car was handling, there was no way they were going to try and win. They were going to win that race restarting from uh, the, the 11th position on new tires. There was no way they were going to do it. So Chad said, you know what, plan B, let's sandbag here and just pray that clean air is a factor ended up not being that, and they, they lost the shootout. Turned out, or lost the, the all-star race. Turned out to be a good th- finish to the third segment between Joey Logano and Kyle Larson, which Larson led. And you mentioned the leader never really got far out. It seemed like clean air was kind of a, a less of a factor here this weekend. Uh, and Kyle or jo- Joey Logano was able to chase down Kyle Larson, and Joey Logano pulled off to his first career all-star win, uh, which locks him into the race for the next decade. So, uh, a pretty good race, John Hollow, all in all for the All-Star race. I thought the racing was great. Uh, just a lot of confusion, no doubt about it. And the one thing that was really nice about the way the 13-lap segment went, we had two passes for the lead in the 13-lap segment because Johnson and Bush went back to the back like they had boat anchors on there. But Kyle Larson jumped out front, and then we had a pass for the lead without the restart where Logano passed Larson. It's the first pass they've had in a final segment since Stewart won it in 2009. They have not That's had a pass bad. in the final <laughs> segment since Stewart did it in 2009. So that tells you there's a good idea there. It's just executing it better. I think, again, I like the 50-50-13. I could go with a different number than 13 just because I – I mean, they did 13 because it was sprints 13 years in NASCAR – and they're going away, so they decided 13 laps. I'd like to see 15 or 20. Yeah, I, but I, I also like is, the is idea of the 50-50, but make make them green flag laps count like it does in the last segment. Uh, I'm with you. Or, or to me, you know, my thing is not make it mandatory to have a pit stop. I just think when you tell teams you have to do things, it, it messes everything up. I think if you tell teams, listen, basically 50 laps, you're on your own. Figure out how you want to pit. Uh, I think that would be where you want to pit and the strategy and everything, uh, I think it, it would be great because the crew chiefs could have uh, a little bit of, of, like we saw with Brian Patty in the in the Open, where it was great to see because crew chiefs kind of had their own little, they could they could play with it a little bit and kind of added their, their way into uh, the all-star race. It was great to see. Okay, and with John, the tire that, that Goodyear brought, with the tire that Goodyear brought, it would have worked, it would have worked perfectly with the way you said it because you couldn't stay out there on old tires. You were going to get eaten alive. So you needed to come in it would have been a mandatory, basically without saying it's mandatory, once the first person comes, everybody else is coming because right. they were having three-second-a-lap fall-off, which made it great because you had comers and you had goers. Whoever had, whoever took care of their tires the best wound up coming up through the field. And it was funny because, it, you know, we saw Kansas do it. They could go 50 laps on gas, so maybe you see somebody trying to keep these guys a lap down and something like that. It would be very, I think it would just add a whole new interesting element to the race. Um, it should be a fun 600 weekend, which we'll get, we'll dive into this preview, the 600. But it's kind of shocking news this morning, John Harlow, out of the Joe Gibbs racing stables, first reported by the business sports business daily, uh, dollar general, Tennessee based dollar general is leaving Joe Gibbs racing and NASCAR after the 2016 season. Uh, they did 30 races on number 20 team with Matt Kenseth, um, and they are pulling off the number 20 car at the end of this season. Uh, apparently, it's like about a $20 million sponsorship, according to that source. So, uh, kind of shocking news. This is a guy who Kenseth wins a lot of races. He's a popular driver. A lot of people are starting to associate Matt Kenseth with Dollar General. They just re-upped a couple of years ago uh, to 30 races, and now it looks like that Joe Gibbs Racing is going to have to find a new sponsorship for that number 20 car. Uh, and and I, I knew this. I didn't know this. I, I just figured this out on Twitter that uh, Dollar General has a new CEO, and I, apparently he's not a big race fan, and that's got a lot to do with why he's pulling out of NASCAR. But, John Harlow, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Dollar General number 20 team no longer together after the 2016 season. Again, it's a dollar-driven sport. GoDaddy CEO was a race fan. GoDaddy CEO was a Danica fan. 
they got a new CEO in Danica, sponsored by Nature's Bakery. I was surprised all along when Dollar General, when Home Depot left the 20 car, the Dollar General stepped up and went to 30 races. I mean, $20 million is a lot for Dollar General. I mean, it's a, it's a decent-sized store. It's a decent-sized group. But that's a lot of money to put your, invest in one spot to promote your brand. That is a heck of a budget to put in one place and one place only. And you're only getting advertising on a regular basis on a Sunday, and you're getting good value because Ken's is running up front, so he's on TV a lot. But, I mean, you're locked into the average of 5 to 7 million people who are watching NASCAR. There's mm-hmm. 300 million people in our country, so you want to make sure you spread your money around. It's perfectly understandable for what Dollar General's business model is. I think the new CEO's actually making a smart business decision. Yeah, it, for it, Joe it is. Racing, I think- yeah, go ahead. I think for Joe Gibbs Racing, I think they're going to try to get DeWalt to kick up a little bit. I think they're going to try to talk to some of their Xfinity sponsors to see what they're going to do. I mean, 10 to 1, GameStop's going to go with Eric Jones whenever he goes cup racing for Furniture Row next year. But they're going to need to boost up. I mean, they're getting Harris out of Daniel Suarez and Carl Edwards. I think there's going to be some troubles, and this is something we've talked about for a long time. There's an official toilet paper of NASCAR. There's official whatever of NASCAR. NASCAR is making money before they put a tire on the track. But if you don't have the cars there, you're not going to make money. So NASCAR's got to start getting out there and spreading the wealth a little bit because you just can't have all these official sponsors and then hope the teams and drivers can find a way to put the $30 million that they have in it. 917-889-8280 if you want to join in on anything. All-star conversation, Dollar General leaving Joe Gibbs Racing at the end of the 2016 season. Whatever you want to discuss, we'll discuss it with you. Oh, man, this is a tough situation. This is a tough situation. I hate sponsors leaving our sport, but it's happened a lot lately. And I think we have to keep in mind here as race fans, this this sport is very expensive. It's always been expensive. It's going to be expensive. It just keeps going up and up and up. $20 million is a lot of money for a, a company like Dollar General. I know they're expanding a lot. Like you said, maybe they want to sit there and say, you know what, we want to spread our wealth a little bit. But it, it's a little alarming to me because for Joe Gibbs Racing because, like you said, they have Eric Jones in the wings. And you sit there and you say, well, they, there was rumor, pretty good rumor that Eric Jones was going to go cup racing in 2017. And now you have to wonder if this changes their plans a little bit because they, they want this 20 team who's got Jason Ratcliffe and all the great guys, Matt Kenseth who are under contract, a lot of great people on that 20 team um, going out there and winning races. And that's a team that you don't want to lose at all. And you better find sponsorship. And maybe this is where a, a company that has sat out this year and is kind of sitting there going, hmm, where are we going to go to makes a play? And that's Aaron's. Maybe Aaron's, who was a big-time sponsorship contract, uh, loves Michael Waltrip, I understand that. But, you know, they have a lot of money. Ken Butler seems to like racing the owner of that. Of that. And it was almost like they kind of sat there for a year and said, where are we going to go? We'll see what comes up. This is a perfect opportunity for Aaron's to get in this sport and sponsor somebody. Sponsor Matt Kenseth. I know he's not a young driver, and he's probably got about five good years left in him. But he's going to win races for you. He's going to go to victory lane, and he's great. And, and this is the guy who, again, I was talking to somebody you know very well, John Harlow, off air. And we both agreed. Matt Kenseth is the guy who's gotten better with age. I think Matt Kenseth could very well win races into his late 40s, maybe even early 50s, a lot like Mark Martin, who was his predecessor, who kind of was his protege over there at Roush Racing when Matt Kenseth first started. I think that's, a, that's somebody who got a little bit better with age as well, Mark Martin. So um, it, it wouldn't be a bad business move. I think they're definitely going to have sponsorship on that 20 team next year. My problem is here, this always happens to – with a big team. Big team was a sponsorship. They're going to find sponsorship, but it's the other people who are affected. For example, when Bill Davis Racing lost Caterpillar because uh, AT&T could no longer sponsor the number 31 team, and Bill Davis Racing went belly up because Caterpillar was no longer putting the bill, and they went to Richard Childress Racing. It happens every time. And, and you know, same thing with Morgan McClure. Morgan McClure Motorsports was never the same after Kodak left, and it went to Penske for a little while. Uh, it just, to me, I, I just hope we don't see that. I hope it's somebody who it's outside the sport they bring in uh, because I don't want to see any of these smaller teams lose their sponsorship. It even happens between the bigger teams. I mean, you look at this year, Quicken Loans left Newman 
and went to Casey Kane. Even at a smaller rate, less races, probably paying the same amount of money, but it's happening yeah. there. I mean, it does. it's not locked into the small team's going to lose anything. One of the things with the small teams right now, they don't really have anybody to steal per se. I mean, Target's locked in with Chip Ganassi. Whatever Chip Ganassi does, Target's always going to be there. Yep. But nobody else outside, I mean, Jamie McMurray, it's patchwork, Beechcraft here, a couple Bass Pro Shops there, some McDonald's there. McDonald's, yeah. But it's nothing extravagant that's going to go crazy. I mean, Aaron's is sitting out there, and that's a great possibility. And Matt Kenseth would be perfect in those Aaron's commercials instead of um, the Michael Waltrip thing. And so you're not as wacko. I mean, you've got the sarcastic Kenseth. He'd be perfect in those commercials. I think Aaron's I, I is think, a possibility. Yeah, I, I, I do too. And I think it's something that, you know, they didn't say they were getting out entirely. They were kind of redirecting where they were going to go. And uh, if, you know, if that's the first call I'm making from Joe Gibbs saying, hey, Ken, you know, we know you were big into the sport. And they wanted to make the chase. Remember, they were locked in with Ryan Vickers for a while, and Vickers had his problems with the blood clots, and they kind of left. And I think the way Aaron's looked at it this year was wherever they went, because the deal happened with Michael Walter Bracing so late, wherever they went, they were going to have to sign a multi-year contract with a team that wasn't very good. And I don't think they wanted to do that. I think they kind of sat there and said, well, we're going to wait and see if a big team comes up, and this is a perfect opportunity for them to jump in this sport and say, you know what, Matt Kenseth, yes, you're a guy – We'll do 30 races for you. DeWalt, however they want to do, that's great. You're our guy. Let's go, Matt Kenseth. Let's go win the championship. I think it's definitely a possibility. But, again, you know, if Aaron's doesn't step up or if a company doesn't step up, you have to wonder how it's going to affect Eric Jones' career. So, uh, it's never good to see sponsorship leave this sport, John. And I I truly believe, too, you you said that uh, redirecting the money elsewhere to a better spot, you're probably right on that, too. But you have to wonder if the attendance and ratings were a little bit higher if Dollar General left, the Dollar General isn't alone here. We've seen a lot of sponsorships, not not including Aaron's, but let's say you know, CarQuest, um, the Home Depot, the Home Depot, you know, Red UPS. Bull, uh, <laughs> UPS. The, the companies go on and on, and Jack Daniels. The companies go on and on and on and on on the list from whose people who left this sports in 2007 is uh, it's a laundry list. It's humongous. So, uh, and it's a, something we need to really look at in this sport because um, there's all. We just spend so much money, and we have to get eyeballs back to the TV and attendance. And the best way to sell your product in front of people is attendance and is ratings, saying, hey, listen, we have a lot of people watching us. We have a lot of people at the races. And I think that's something that this sport really needs to make in the right direction, no doubt about it. I think the racing, if it's anything like we saw, that would make that would be a step in the right direction. If it was anything like we saw Saturday. But, again, it, you know, ratings have been falling down, and the attendance has been falling. Uh, I think that, that's not very good for some of these sponsors. A couple of the ones that you've seen go away that I have kind of firsthand knowledge of, when the Army walked away and when the National Guard walked away, part of it is federal budget issues where the federal government has to tighten down things. The other part is the Army is putting millions of dollars in at the time into Stuart Haas Racing for Newman's car. They had displays out at every track. They had a bunch of people, a bunch of recruiters at every track where they would be trying to recruit kids who wanted to join the Army. A lot of times, anybody who was 18 to 24 that was at the racetrack or three sheets to the wind, they didn't really care. Sometimes they would fill out. They didn't really get many real leads, and they really can't point at somebody who signed up at a NASCAR race and actually joined the Army. Yeah, so, I mean, you're throwing good money after bad right there. I mean, the, the goal is to get young men and women to join the military, and they're not doing it, but they're spending $30 million bucks on Junior, and they were spending $10 million bucks on Newman whenever they walked away from that one. That's $40 million bucks of yours, mine, everybody else's, Lee's in Virginia, and everybody else's tax dollars that we're not seeing the return on investment for. So I, as I'm much seven. as I love the sport... It's throwing good money after bad. Yeah, nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. We can go on all day uh, about that, no doubt about it. I think um, it's very warranted. I think the problem NASCAR's having right now with the demographics—they've come out and said that the demographics is the problem. Getting young kids or younger guys—you know—the the millennials that we have in, into this sport—I think it's a big problem right now. 
and that's probably points to something that you know, like you mentioned about the United States Army is getting these young kids to sign up for the Army. Um, something, something else that's coming up this weekend, John, of course, during All-Star Weekend in Charlotte, uh, they're going to announce the Hall of Fame nominees for the 2017 season. Um, they take five every year in NASCAR. There's 20 nominees. I'll give you the I'll name them off real quick, the 20 nominees for this season. Buddy Baker, Red Byron, Richard Childress, Ray Everham, Ray Fox, Rick Hendrick, Ron Hornaday, Harry Hyde, Alan Kowicki, Mark Martin, Herschel McGriff, Raymond Parks, Benny Parsons, Larry Phillips, and Ricky Rudd. Uh, those are, are the um, 20 nominations for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Your thoughts on those, John Harlow? On who you th- think is going to who do you think is going to make the, All- the Hall of Fame this year? Who do you think deserves to make it? There's a lot of good people eligible for the Hall of Fame this year, but there are certain ones who we need to get through to get to. Like, for example, Ray Evernham. He's phenomenal. 47 wins, 30 poles, plus he wound up uh, 13 wins as an owner. But it just, he's too young. Mm -hmm. Ray's going to be around a while. The one that I feel bad about, and I can almost guarantee you, he will get in this year because we lost Buddy Baker. Yeah. Buddy will get in because we lost him this year. He's still in everybody's hearts and minds. It's a sentimental vote. Buddy will get in. I really think Harry Hyde should get in because there was the ultimate suit. There was the ultimate crew chief. <laughs> yes, Harry sir. Hyde was it. The story, uh, I, they even talked about it during the race, during the All-Star race, the story about in Days of Thunder where they wanted to come in and he says, no, we're busy eating ice cream. That's legit. And he said it to Benny Parsons, who's on the list this year. (laughs) As much as I'd like to put Benny in, being a past champion, he doesn't have the wins. He doesn't have the – I mean, he's got that owner – he's got 21 wins, 20 poles. He raced for 24 years. Down the road, put him in as a broadcaster. He was phenomenal for the sport then. He was Mm -hmm. the first to go over 200 miles an hour, but still, it's – he – wasn't he won 21 times in 526 career starts? It's not he's the as they call him the everyman champion. You can be the everyman champion, but that doesn't mean you're a Hall of Famer. Well, I think he's going to get in for that. And a couple of names I forgot to mention: John Harlow, real quick, before, and I'll let you continue. Ken Squires also on that list. Mike Stefanik, Waddell Wilson, and Robert Yates. I knew I didn't read 20, so those are your 20. But you mentioned a couple there. Give us some. Give us a couple more. Ken Squire. Mm-hmm. Ken Squire made NASCAR what it is today. As much as Bill France Sr. put into it, as much as Bill France Jr. put in it, as much as Brian France is trying to ruin it, Ken Squire mm-hmm. made NASCAR, and you couldn't have done it better than the 79 Daytona 500. The first live flag-to-flag coverage on a network. The East Coast was in a blizzard. Kale Yarbrough and Donnie Allison decided to take each other out on the last lap. Richard Petty strolls around for the victory. They have a fight on the backstretch. And that was the first time America as a whole got to see NASCAR live. And that, just for that one race and what Ken Squire did to turn NASCAR from the good old southern boy redneck sport that it was into something that is fully across the country. You can't go into any state without finding some driver's hat or T-shirt. Ken Squire did more for NASCAR that one afternoon than anybody else has in the history. So I would put Ken Squire in there. When it comes to the car owner segment, you've got Childress, you've got Rick Hendrick, you've got Robert Yates. You've also got Raymond Park in there. But Raymond Park had two wins as a driver. He did a bunch of stuff as an owner. He drove, He had Red Byron, Bob Flock, Roy Hall. But I look at it, take Robert Yates. Reason being, not only did he win championships as a car owner, you can't imagine how many wins he had as an engine builder. 
Exactly. Robert Yates was a genius at building engines, and I think he did more for the sport. I was listening to Dale Jarrett tell a story a couple weeks ago that when he went to meet Robert Yates, when he was thinking about leaving Joe Gibbs to go to Yates, he walks in and Robert Yates is sweeping the floor because Robert Yates would never ask somebody to do something he hasn't done himself or wouldn't do himself. That's the guy I would like to see in the Hall of Fame of the owners. Rick Hendrick, yeah, he did great. He's amazing. He's got more championships, the second most wins as a car owner, but he's still active. He's still doing this. I think Rick can wait. Same with Childress. I think he can wait. I think Robert Yates, since he's out of the sport, get him in while he's here. Get him in while he's still close to the thing. And the fifth one, it's a toss-up. I could almost, it's either, to me, it's either going to be Mark Martin as a driver or I'll go with Rick Hendrick as the owner, one of the two, because those two, Mark Martin has the most wins of anybody at the cup level that's up for the Hall of Fame. He had the record for most wins in the Bush Nationwide Xfinity Series, whatever you want to call it this week. He's phenomenal. He drove till he's in his fifties, and he's competitive till he's in his fifties. So Absolutely. my five, I'll go with Mark Martin, Buddy Baker, Ken Squire, Harry Hyde, Robert Yates. That's mine's going to look a little different. I got three. What you got? And I agree wholeheartedly. Ken Squire, the guy gave the name to NASCAR as far as the Daytona 500 for the Great American Race. Every great call you hear, he, he was fantastic. He was. Part of the guy, the founding fathers of, of the Motor Racing Network, he really understood what it meant to put this uh, – was a, was a driving force behind the, the uh, NASCAR Daytona 500 on CBS. Um, he did everything he needed to do. He's shooting Hall of Famer. It's a shame he's not in already. I feel the same way about Robert Yates, John. I think Robert Yates, it's a shame he's not in already. Robert Yates won races as an engine builder and champion. He won races in the 60s, won races and championships in the 70s, won races in the 80s, won races in the 90s, anyone races with his engines into the 2000s. And you can argue his knowledge and his tutelage is what his son, Doug Yates, used to build engines today in NASCAR. And to have that big of an impact over that many decades is unbelievable. And his engine building, he's a genius. His engine building has been basically somebody's running his engine since you could argue since like 1965 and it's been really, really good. If you had a Robert Gates engine in your car, you were fast. I mean, we used to say, you, we used to hear Dale Jarrett all the time. Dale, what was the big difference out there today? Robert Yates' horsepower. I mean, it was a driving force behind it. Robert Yates is a genius guy who should definitely, definitely be in the Hall of Fame. I hope he gets in this year because he has more than earned it his entire career. My third representative is going to be Red Byron, and I'm a big believer. Let's get the first premier premium champion, uh, the, the first series champion in in 1949, a guy who really um, – those guys are unsung heroes back in the day where they kind of built this NASCAR, this racing together. They were the ones that took a lot of the hits. Um, and Red Byron's kind of started – NASCAR started later on in Red, Red Byron's career. Same thing with Lee Petty. They, it started late in their careers. They would have had a lot more wins had, a, had NASCAR been created earlier. Uh, I think he definitely belongs in as well. Um, and I and listen. It was a my number four guy. It was appalling. I've had to defend this this guy for a Hall of Fame candidacy since he's retired. And that's Mark Martin. I, I just if you watch Mark Martin race and you don't think he's a Hall of Famer, I, I don't want I don't want to talk to you because Mark Martin basically built Rosh Fender Racing, carried it on his back. He was, to me, an organization for an organization to be successful, they need at, that one driver that is stable, that wins a lot of races, that knows what he's doing. That's great to make them great, and that was Mark Martin with Rosh Fenner Racing, no doubt about it. Mark Martin, first, he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Won a ton, of, like you said, won a ton of Xfinity Series races, won a ton of Cup races. I don't care if he didn't win a championship. I don't care if he didn't win a Daytona 500. He came within inches of winning a Daytona 500, and he came within a bold, bold crap penalty call in 1991 from winning the championship. Mark Martin is in the Hall of Fame. He belongs in more than any, more than half the guys that are in there right now. He belongs in. Mark Martin's a Hall of Famer. And the number fifth one, number five guy, 
for his innovation is Ray Evernham. Ray Evernham really uh, took pit crewing to the next level. He's a guy who helped develop one of the best drivers we've ever seen in Jeff Gordon. Um, you know, went on that to have a, have a good career as an owner. It's a shame that he kind of, I think, kind of lost interest in the ownership part. Money wasn't really as good as it once was. We were kind of in a tough era there in 2007, 2008 as far as economics went. Uh, all that contributed to, to Ray Evernham, I think, uh, losing his ownership of that team. But a, a great mechanic, one of the best minds we've ever seen in this sport, he definitely belongs in as well. So Ken Squire, Robert Yates, Red Byron, Mark Martin, and Ray Evernham are my five, John Harlow, for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And there's no argument with either of them. I mean, like I said, Ray Evernham is a lock for the Hall of Fame. I just would rather put Harry Hyde in before Ray Evernham. That's the only difference. I'd just rather get Harry in before Ray. Um, I know Ray's will be, hopefully, knock on wood, Ray's will be around a couple more years. I think Mark Martin locked in, should have been there. I mean, he has 96 career wins across all three series. Not, I mean, the only people who can say they have more than 96 wins are Richard Petty, David Pearson, Kyle Busch. That's it. Yeah. Earnhardt doesn't yeah, have 100 Jeff wins Gordon. between the three series. I mean, Gordon doesn't have 96 wins. I mean, Mark Martin has more wins across the group than anybody, other than those three that I mentioned. I mean, it's a it's a lock-in for Mark Martin. I don't have yeah, a problem. I, I mean, like I said, there's no problem with any of them. Most of the 20 on this list deserve to be there. I can live with Red Byron being the first first uh, NASCAR champ, and like you said, at the end of his career, if Lee Petty's in, why is Red Byron in? Other than the right. fact that he has the Petty name, and he right. owned the team that Richard went crazy with, so that's okay. Lee Petty's in. I can live with Red Byron being in, plus he died at the age of 45. When you look at Robert mm-hmm. Yates, one of the things that I keep saying with that one, if Davey Allison didn't learn to fly a helicopter, yeah, how much better are Robert Yates' statistics? Okay, I, I said this, John. I'm going to interrupt you. I, I, I stand by this comment. If Davey Allison, and no, this is no disrespect to Dale Jarrett. I hope these guys don't take respect to that. No disrespect to Ernie Irvin, who uh, got hurt as well. But I truly believe if Davey Allison didn't get killed, it would be Yates, Fenway Racing, and they would be the dominant four team right now. I really believe that. I think without a doubt, if Davey, if Davey lived and kept going, Davey was the future of NASCAR. He had the smile, he had the good looks, he had the cute wife, he had the cute kid. And the name? (coughs) He had the family name coming from Bobby Allison and Donnie Allison. He was leading the Alabama gang. I think if Davey Allison did not learn to fly a helicopter, NASCAR would have changed so much. Agreed. I could have seen Ray Evernham fighting to get into... Yates racing instead of going to Hendrick. (laughs) I could see Robert Yates being able to battle for Jeff Gordon instead of Rick Hendrick taking him away. And and Jeff, or Dale Dale Earnhardt admitted it. He said, hey, if Davey Allison stays alive, I might not have seven championships. And then he stops and and thinks about it and goes, hell, I might not even have six. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and and he died in the middle of 93, and it looked like Allison, Allison's 93 got off to a rough, rough start, but he was starting to come on, and you don't know how, how that season could have finished between Earnhardt. Maybe Earnhardt had some some trouble as well, but um, absolutely, I, I completely agree with you. And, and that's 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 a rough thing. But you're right, Sean. I think uh, all these 20 drivers drivers on this list, you have an argument for all of them. Uh, it's going to be interesting in about five years here if we take five every year because we're going to start to get names where you're going to sit there and go, I'm not sure they belong in the Hall of Fame, and that to me gets interesting. But uh, until that point happens, um, I, I think anybody on the list you can definitely make an argument is a Hall of Famer. Uh, real quick, before we get off here, I want to touch on um, the Indianapolis 500, John Harlow. Um, obviously, this weekend, um, it, it always coincides with the Coca-Cola 600. Uh, James Cliff, who had a horrible, horrible wreck there last year, um, on the pole for the 100th anniversary of this race, can this race for the 100th anniversary, can it have a better storyline than James Hinchcliffe sitting on the pole? I don't think so because he was all but dead on the backstretch last year because 
a part went through his leg if it wouldn't have been for the phenomenal safety crew that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has. James Hinchcliffe had a really good shot at bleeding out on the backstretch. They rushed him to the hospital, emergency surgery, came back, and also driving for Sam Schmidt. Sam got paralyzed in an IndyCar accident. So you've got a Mm -hmm. paralyzed owner and a guy who almost died on the backstretch on the front row this year. It'd be great if the magic continues on Sunday, but it's the 100th anniversary of the Indy 500. Roger Penske's going to win it. And oh, yeah. I got a good feeling that Helio Castro Nevis is going to win his fourth and tie himself with Rick Mears and A.J. Foyt. The uh, big shocker out to me out of this week at Indy is Chip Ganassi. All he does is focus on the Indy 500, and Scott Dixon is his top driver, and he's almost three full mile an hour behind Hinchcliffe's pole speed. Hinchcliffe at 230, Dixon's at 227. You're the one to look out for that is not in there, and nobody's, not many people are thinking about, look out for J.R. Hildebrand. Ed Carpenter Racing does well at Indy. Ed is the nephew of the, I mean, he's the stepson of the track family owners, but J.R. Hildebrand wrecked on the final lap leading oh, yeah. the race a few years ago. He's mm-hmm. in Ed Carpenter's stuff. Ed Carpenter has Newgarden in second. They're in good shape. I think if there's a surprise, it will be J.R. Hildebrand. It's interesting. Um, there's a lot of – I love this race. You know, I'm not – there's no doubt my Indy knowledge isn't nearly as, as uh, deep as my NASCAR knowledge, no doubt about it, but – you know, I I like this race. I watch it every year. I think it's a great race. It's a great uh, it's a great event. Something that it, hundreds hundreds of runners are going to be even better. But um, you know, you, you talked about surprises up there. What about people you were surprised? You know, you talked about Chip Ganassi not really running good. How about like a uh, former winner we saw last year, defending champion in this race, Juan Pablo Montoya. You know, a, 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 another former winner, Tony Kanaan. Uh, he's back there. They're back there in seventeenth and eighteenth. Graham Rahal, last year's champion, back in 26th. Um, what are your thoughts on, on those guys, John? I think, I mean, it was a weird day whenever they ran on Saturday to find out who would be the top nine. It was chilly, then the sun came out, then the wind kicked up, and the cars, as light as they are, the slightest bit of wind will totally mess your day up. So they probably went out at the wrong time, caught a gust of wind that went sideways or a headwind that wound up slowing them down when they needed it. It just is one of those things. Whenever they get in and they're running in the pack, they get the toe going. I can see Montoya climbing up there. I can see Kanan climbing up there. The one also who, another great story, is Brian Clawson. He started 28th driving for Dale Coyne, but Brian Clawson's trying to run 200 races this year between sprints, midgets, and the Indy cars that he's doing. So, I mean, I think it's great that Brian Clawson made the field. The one thing that's really weird, Alex Tagliani's driving for AJ. He's wrecked every time he's tried to get out there to qualify. He's in the field with not a qualifying lap because only 33 cars entered the 100th anniversary of the Indy 500. Yeah, and that's why Buddy Lazier, who's a former winner of this race as well, but has um, sort of, you know, he's way, he was way off the pace. But you know he's in, he's in there as well. You know he was two miles, two and a half miles an hour behind the driver in thirty first. He started thirty second, and he was way off the pole speed, about eight miles an hour off the pole speed as well. So uh, you know that's why he's in the race as well. And I'm glad he mentioned Clawson. Clawson's a guy who had a brief NASCAR career. I think he's got a lot of skill. I'd like to see him do well as well. Um, we think everybody from listening and talking circles is going to be a phenomenal weekend. If if you're sitting at home, I envy you this weekend on Sunday for sitting at home because. It's going to be a great TV day. Uh, you got the Grand Prix of Monaco, and then you got the Indianapolis 500, and then, of course, the Coca-Cola 600, which is my favorite of them all. But uh, it's going to be a great racing weekend, John Hollow. I know I can't wait for it. Are you excited? Uh, this was this is one of those days that reminds me of my late father because we would get up in the morning, we'd watch Monaco on speed, then we'd eat breakfast, then we'd watch Indy, then we'd throw the fire up the grill, and then we'd watch the Coke 600. So it's a day that always is something special to me. And it's going to be great yeah, racing it, all day long. 
it is going to be great racing. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope we see a great show in the Coca-Cola 600 because, to be honest, it hasn't been great lately. I thank everybody for listening and talking in circles. We'll be back here next week after the Indianapolis 500 and the Coke, Zero, Coke 600. Good night, everybody.